Welcome to the Keegan Smith Podcast. Choose what you give your life to or have it stolen from you. My mission is to rewire for power. We've all been gifted massive potential. This podcast is about unwrapping that gift. What if you could? Potentiating wellness, abundance, and movement. Today's podcast is proudly brought to you by Real Movement Level 1. Real Movement was started in 2014 to help coaches get better. Since that time, it's helped over 70 of its members open new training facilities and dozens of its members get started working in professional teams. Some of those coaches are now running programs in professional teams around the world. The program is designed not just around increasing your knowledge. You can go and sit on YouTube all day and hear information about just about anything out there. What this program is about is about you experiencing and taking on your best self. You get three days face-to-face and three months of online development. Get into it. All right, Keegan Smith here for our episode number five. Today, we'll be talking about squatting. Will squatting transform your life? There's a lot of questions around squatting and a lot of uh, controversy, a lot of differing opinions. And today, we're going to go through some of those. I'm going to talk through some of the best squatters of all time and what becoming a squatter might do for you. Before we jump into that, uh, this morning's skill session juggling was average five ball, trying to get over 30 consistently uh, in, in the morning sessions. It's a real battle and uh, you know you just don't get to add reps each day. And it's, it's funny how tricky it is to add skill progression to your life. And I'm definitely in a better position than I was you know, three months ago or six months ago. But if you want to learn about persistence and you want to learn about dedication, then get into the game of juggling. Initially, it's uh, it lures you in because three ball juggling, generally for people who've played ball sports as a kid, it's a two to five minute lesson uh, to get in the game, to be able to, to juggle, you know, catch and throw maybe 10 times. Now, it took me a lot longer because I learned through trial and error. Um, but you can get lured into the game fairly easily. Within a week or two, you might find yourself juggling for a minute uh, with three balls. This is not necessarily going to be the case for everybody. If you haven't done a, a bunch of ball sports, if you have uh, deficits in coordination or um, eyesight, then you know it could take a lot longer. But as you go along, then locking in four ball juggling, locking in five ball juggling, it really becomes a game of persistence and, and you step back every time you don't step forward. Okay. So you have to be working really hard just to stay in the same place. And that is a good metaphor for life. If you're doing something good in life, then you have to be sprinting just to stay where you are. And every time you slip away from, you know, what got you there and, and you stop sprinting, you know, you find yourself going backwards really quickly. Um, handstands feeling pretty solid. Um, yeah, some good days there, consecutive days. Um, not putting tons and tons of energy into these things, but they are a daily constant every morning. And, you know, that's the foundation that my days uh, are built upon, uh, getting some some movement there early in the morning, often playing with the kids. And then we'll transition into bigger lifting later in the day. So yesterday's session, we had uh, snatches, cleans, a uh, bunch of jerks and some squats. I did some heavy uh, box squats to, to parallel uh, and then took the bands off and continued up. Uh, I got up to 130 for fives. Um, the squat is really an enigma for me, and that's, I guess, why I'm, I've learned a lot about it and I'm passionate about it. 
but uh, it's never been a movement that I've been particularly good at, and it's one that I definitely need to improve at to hit the goals that I want to hit in terms of body composition and size, but also uh, the weightlifting. You know, I want to compete on the international scene in weightlifting in the over 35s um, this year. And uh, I need to squat more to do it. So here we go. Let's talk about squats. Um, quarter squats. This is a really controversial one. Do quarter squats have a place in squatting? This is a common question. Uh, quarter squats are amazing for peaking. They do have a role in squatting. The problem comes when that's all you do. So when I'm talking about quarter squat, I would say you know a squat where the hip uh, doesn't get even close to uh, below the knee level. It looks more like a knee bend or a curtsy. The bar might descend maybe 30 centimeters, 50 centimeters, um, but it's definitely not getting down, you know, a meter or so from, from where you start. Obviously, it depends on height. But quarter squats are a very powerful exercise and should be included in a squatting program. Um, you know, weightlifters will have them there in one form or another, even just by doing um, jerks or, you know, just standing up a heavy weight in a front rack. I was looking at, uh, I don't know his name actually, but the Egyptian uh, weightlifter, if you're not following on Instagram, I can uh, I can link you in, but very uh, innovative guy, funny dude in terms of his lifting. He doesn't actually say anything, but um, it's uh, really, he's got an entertaining uh, Instagram channel there and he does his, his normal weightlifting. He's a world-class weightlifter, but then he does something creative at the end of each um, video that he puts up and uh, one of them was just standing up with like 240 plus uh, kilos in the front rack position uh, from the from the boxes so basically like jerk type range but in a, in a front rack and you know that sort of work is extremely effective and should be used uh, as a supplement to, to full squatting if you're working with athletes I remember seeing this with uh, Adam Nielsen when he was training with Charles Poliquin you know pushing uh from a dead start inside the rack into another bar that's blocking the range of motion before lockout. So lifting from a dead start into another bar and potentially a banded exercise as well, a very good specific um, close to competition uh, peaking exercise. Okay, so being able to lock out a ton of weight, like that's pretty much where most sport is actually performed it's it's performed near lockout okay so the ability to deal with a lot of force and produce a lot of force in that last part of your joint angle when you're not too far from standing up that's very specific to running um and to to you know throwing a shot put and and most sports in fact so the quarter squat has a lot of value in saying that should beginners be doing it should most people be doing them should most of the people who do quarter squats be, be quarter squatting I do not believe so. I really love to see beginners uh, and people who have deficits in mobility, they have deficits in general motor control. I like to see them moving through full range of motion. I like to see athletes regularly moving themselves through full range of motion. Uh, it doesn't have to be a maximal load. Load is almost irrelevant because the load of the body weight, so if you say, you know, you're lifting 85% of body weight, just doing a body weight squat. Okay. So there's, you know, you're basically, you're not lifting your feet and you're not really lifting, um, your, your lower leg, despite, you know, it being active in supporting your, your lift. But if we call it like 85% of body weight, that's actually being lifted where a push up, you might be like 60% of your, your body weight. That's actually on your chest because a lot of the weight, you know, the other percentages is, is on your feet. Um, 
if we if we say that we're lifting 85% of body weight, that's that's probably enough for a lot of people. If they're controlling body weight really well, then you can get a serious uh, stimulus of of strength and stimulus to the to the joints to the connective tissue through full range, right? So some of the exercises that can help people to get started with full range squatting, goblet squats, assisted pistols are actually a really good way to go uh, for big tight guys. Okay, so in the footy scene, everyone's squatted before, but most guys have quarter squatted. Some guys will have squatted to parallel. Very few will have uh, gone beyond that. I value going beyond that. Do you need to go beyond that with maximal weights? You know, the, the Charles Poliquin uh, system is Ask to grass. You need to leave a stain on the floor is the, the um, crude way of putting it. You need to have your hamstring uh, completely cover your calf. Yeah, th- this is the, the guideline of, for squatting that, you know, really I, I was first sort of uh, indoctrinated into. And, you know, if you see Wolfgang Ernzold, who's a German coach who's been heavily influenced by Poliquin, but he's done a lot of work in his own right. You know, I, uh, I like to watch what he does with his uh, with his clients and with his athletes, world class coach, and he really does use that full depth. The full full depth with heavy load is not a hundred percent essential for performance. In terms of preventing injury, to have your athletes able to do that, I believe is giving them a competitive advantage. Now. You can just squat to parallel. I think, you know, the Dan Baker school of squatting, as far as I understand it in Australia, is uh, more so just getting to parallel, breaking parallel, like more like powerlifting standards. Dan's background is in, in powerlifting. Uh, if you do decide to go that route, and uh, I know that a lot of good coaches do, I would still like to see that athlete goblet squatting or assisted pistol squatting or pistol squatting into that full, full range. I think it's great for the ankle. I think it's great for the syndesmosis of the ankle, a common site for injury, you know, getting loading into that syndesmosis. If you start doing duck walks and, and lateral duck walks and bouncing in the bottom position, you know, like little frog jumps and that sort of thing, you might find that you give yourself a little bit of a twinge in the syndesmosis. That's great. That shows you that you're bulletproofing that part of your body. You're giving it some stress so that just getting a, you know, getting a, an extra loading on it during uh, during a game or during a chaotic environment, it won't be new stimulus uh, to that area. So, I believe that we should squat full range of motion, uh, heavy, but quarter squats have their place. Uh, mostly, advanced or intermediate athletes should be thinking more so uh, about those heavy quarter squats. If you never quarter squat and you don't use bands or chains, then you're never training the top part of the movement in terms of strength, in terms of maximal strength, because the sticking point is always going to be lower on a squat. No one fails a squat at lockout. A bench press, occasionally someone will fail a bench press pretty close to lockout. So you can say, oh yeah, it's triceps and the the bench press requires a reasonable amount of strength through the full range of motion the squat doesn't really you know you can generally handle close to double or or maybe a lot more in terms of uh, load in that last quarter of the squat Um, so it's yeah there was a group in the gym the other day um, young kids and they were squatting and they're squatting with just the empty bar and doing quarter squats and then 
jamming on the tens and doing quarter squats and then jamming on the twenties and doing quarter squats. And yeah, they're getting up to 60, 80 kilos, but I guarantee you they would not have stood up. They couldn't even, they couldn't squat the bar through range, but they would not have stood up 40 kilos out of the bottom position. So they have a lot more strength at the top. Is it better to do the top range than nothing? It's a good question. Probably yes, but potentially no. Why is that? And this is, you know, this is a huge criticism of a lot of strength programs because they are just performing quarter squats and never hitting that full range. Uh, you may be creating imbalances in the connective tissues uh, in the knee and maybe creating connective uh, tissue imbalances around the you know, muscle strength imbalances around the around the knee as well. Um, in terms of the quads, in terms of VMO activation, in terms of glute activation, we know that the end range positions are where the strongest muscle action occurs. So the bottom of the squat and right near the top are where you're going to see strongest muscle activation from the VMO. And out of the bottom is where you're going to see some serious glute activation. Um, so I think that part of the reason why you see meniscal tears and cartilage damage in players' knees is because they're not developing that connective tissue optimally and, and across the whole joint. Okay, so... The connective tissue of the cartilage is only going to develop where there's load. And there are studies that show that weightlifters have extremely thick and high-quality cartilage in the knees. Okay, so this comes to another point. Will the knees wear out when we squat? What do you think? Are the knees going to wear out? If you think of the body like a machine, if you think of the body like a car, you know, after 300,000 kilometers, 400,000 kilometers, 500,000 kilometers, eventually bits of the car fatigue it's metal fatigue it's taken you know too many bumps it's accelerated too many times etc the car doesn't have a circulatory system the car isn't constantly responding and adapting uh, to load eventually we will die but there's no reason to believe that bones tissues tendons you know muscles cartilage Ligaments, all these things are not going to be continually renewed and not going to actually become stronger and stronger in response to training as opposed to becoming weaker and wearing out. I do not believe we're going to you know, wear out the tissues. Uh, Jersey, I don't, can't remember his last name. Um, maybe that is his last name. The weightlifting guy that was on the Tim Ferriss uh, podcast is like 65 years old. He uh, sort of escaped from... Poland um, during you know political turmoil. M my in-laws have you know sort of similar history. They they're Polish and you know they uh, they lived through you know communist times and um, yeah you know that 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 history is very relevant. I guess in my family history and the history now of, of my children is tightly you know connected to that Polish history. You know he got out of Poland and he built a life for himself in California and he's training guys like Tim Ferriss and other you know, um, super successful people. And he has a very uh, precise system of changing body composition, optimizing body composition and getting people to be able to lift. And he's talking about someone going from a 60-year-old, you know, I've read some of his books as well, going from being 60 years old and not being able to do much to being able to do a full snatch at 70 years. So over the course of 10 years, the person became considerably younger physically as a result of the training they were exposed to. And that, I believe, is, is what we should be thinking about. That's how we should be thinking about our own training. Um, for sure, you're not going to continually get better 
if you have trained optimally in your 20s and 30s, then your 40s, you're probably going to see a decline at least in you know maximal power strength numbers 30s uh, 40s and 50s you know a lot of guys actually hit hit some big numbers um some of that is you know steroid enhanced but strength it seems you can continue to do out for longer for me the idea of being a good weightlifter later in life that that seems to me like the fountain of youth uh, weightlifting i'm talking about snatches cleans jerks if you're cons- continue to be able to move with the force and mobility and rate of force development that those lifts require, I think you're staying pretty young. Uh, powerlifting, I don't believe, confers that same level of longevity and youth. Uh, I think that you know, if, if I just squat bench dead, I, I start to feel very old very quickly. Um, and that's where the Westside Barbell Method, which I've, I've spoken about, uh, and I, I think I linked out of the last video, yeah, that um, Westside Barbell method is a great method to stay young physically while still being able to powerlift. I think powerlifting requires a lot more assistance work to to stay functional and to you know to have a high level of function in the real world um, as opposed to weightlifting, which I think in itself is inherently you know retain you retain a lot of youthful qualities and mobility and elasticity and speed development those sorts of things. Um, for sure, there's supplementary movements that go well with weightlifting, but it's more inherently if you're good at the lifts, then you're holding on to a lot of quality uh, characteristics. Okay, so why what else, what are squats going to actually do for us? If you know you guys are athletes, if you're strength and conditioning coaches, if you just love going to the gym and just seeing what your body can do, what role does what is a squat going to play? Well. The key things that I'm looking for are, one, it's going to have a huge impact on body composition. A large portion of your muscle mass is held in the legs. And if you grow that muscle mass, if you activate that muscle mass, then that's going to have a, a strong hormonal effect. It's going to have a strong central effect in terms of uh, transforming the body. Okay, so the, f- the fact that by doing a set of 10, a set of 20 on squats, you can easily get yourself out of breath. You'd be breathing hard. That shows that a lot of tissue is being activated by that movement. Okay. You do a set of 20 curls and providing you're not holding your breath um, and you're not doing, you know, full body uh, power curls, you're not going to be so out of breath. You know, it's not going to take you long to recover. After you do a set of 20 back squats, you know, you can literally spend a few minutes on the floor uh, feeling as though you're not sure if you you want life to go on from here, so that that shows that there's a huge impact on uh, the metabolism, and you're going to get a big hormone dump as a result of that sort of training. Okay, so body composition key. Do, why do we give a crap about body composition if we're athletes and we're movement lovers and such? We care about body composition because nothing good happens without ideal body composition. The body composition that's required for the things that you want to do is one of the prerequisites, okay? So like Louis Simmons said in one of the interviews I saw with him recently, you know, the owner of Westside Barbell, he was the guy who was interviewing, he's like, honestly, you wouldn't be allowed to train here. You just don't have the body shape for it. And he was just basically, because the guy was too skinny, he's like, well, there's no place for you in powerlifting because you can't flex bone. So, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed through the doors. And every sport has that you wouldn't be allowed through the doors factor. If you want to be doing bodybuilding, then you have to have a low body fat 
percentage around competition time. If you want to do gymnastics, then you need to have a high level of muscularity. You need to have short limbs and you need to have low, low body fat. Uh, rugby league, body fat, you don't have to be super lean. You, know, you can be anywhere from 8% to probably 20%. And, and, you know, still be really, you know, have a big impact. At 40% body fat, you cannot play rugby league, okay? At muscle number, you know, 80, 85, you're going to have a very hard time playing rugby league. The average muscle number that we see amongst, you know, NRL players is about 100. 100 is the, the number that corresponds to maximal level hypertrophy for most natural lifters. I'm about a 93, 92 and a half muscle number. Getting to 95 is, is a target for me. And that shows a high degree of muscular development compared to normal or average natural muscle potential. 100 would be like natural bodybuilder built to to their full potential. If you haven't checked out muscle number, I'll link it in that article. You can, you know, get yours um, through the real you app. You just enter in your height and weight and percentage body fat or approximate percentage body fat. I use the sculpt device for that. That's a whole other conversation. Um, let's jump to how we improve the squat then. Actually, let's finish finishing off that. So body composition Jumps and acceleration. If jumps and acceleration are improving, then life is getting better for an athlete. As I spoke about uh, in athletic development, sort of on-field speed agility episode, I'm a massive proponent and you know I, I love to see counter-movement jump improving. If jumps are improving, if accelerations are improving, then we're making better athletes. One of the easiest, fastest, most effective ways, most proven ways to improve jumps and acceleration is to improve squats through full range of motion. Okay, So full range of motion squat strength correlates to jump height and counter-movement jump. Quarter squats don't correlate um, and that's yeah, that's that's sort of there in the research. It's core squats are much less 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 reliable to tell you if some if an athlete is truly strong or not. Um, with quarter squat, there is a correlation, strong correlation to jump height. So if you keep getting your athletes better in the squats, then you've definitely got some good potential there to help them be better in terms of their jumps and their acceleration. And that's not the only way to improve it. And you know you want to uh, round out your program with some jumping work and, and with, you know, speed acceleration work. But squats are really the foundation for it, okay? So then you go and express that um, in the in the movements that you'll test. As I said before, if, if you, you know, if you're squatting 150 kilos, then you just have no place in elite weightlifting unless you're a 60 kilo girl, um, and that's me. So I'm not a 60 kilo girl, but my back squat is 150, and that's not good enough to be elite in weightlifting, okay? So... The squat has to go up. Technique, you can do all the technique work you like, but if that base strength is where it is, that base force production is where it is, then you just don't have a place, okay? So when the squat goes up, when the jump goes up, that basic force potential goes from poor to average or average to elite, then you have the opportunity to express that in all the different drills that you would like and eventually you know, in the on-field um, or on-track performance. Okay, so squats play a huge role in this, and that's why I'm dedicating a whole podcast to talking about squats. Uh, one of the most effective squat programs that I have done is the Soviet squat cycle. Okay, so this one um, from 
Dr. Fred Hatfield, he sort of, I guess, pulled it from the Soviets. I do actually think it probably originally comes from the Americans. And, and it's, it's a connection that's not often made, but Abijayev, who was sort of running that Bulgarian program, he is quoted as, as, you know, saying that he believed in the American system that guys like Paul Anderson and John Davis were using, uh, in the times before the Europeans, um, dominated and the sort of Eastern Bloc, they actually drew a lot from, uh, Paul Anderson and John Davis and, and John Day and Paul Anderson actually built on the work of, of Bob Peoples. Okay. So Bob Peoples had a 330 kilo deadlift at 83 kilos body weight. Um, still a, a world-class lift and, and he was a huge influence on Paul Anderson. Paul Anderson sort of, um, was, if you don't know Paul Anderson, he, he was, uh, an elite, uh, weightlifter. He won Olympic gold, I think twice. Um, he weighed 165 kilos at 175 centimeters. So he was extremely dense, but he was known for being fast, having a bigger than 30 inch vertical jump and, and really being uh, a good sprinter. He could do handstand push-ups, uh, for reps. And one intelligent thing that I, I like from, you know, what talking, uh, reading his book there is, uh, that he, he really valued the congestion component of freestanding handstand push-ups. And if you think about it, you know, when you do standing, presses all the blood flow the natural blood flow is away from the muscles where if you're inverted that blood rush that you feel to your head is also a blood rush that comes into the arms so if there is a, a metabolic component and uh, a muscle pump and a blood flow component to hypertrophy which you know some people still contest that there isn't but there probably is uh, then it makes sense that inverting to, to do those presses actually uh, will have a, a big impact on building strength in those muscles, in the triceps and the shoulders. So forcing the blood flow to the area. And then if we actually invert that, well, the, the legs are constantly dealing with that. The legs are constantly dealing with a, a downward force of blood wanting to go to the area. Uh, but it kind of makes sense that squats will have, you know, some of that congestion type benefit that Paul Anderson is is talking about as well. So he was actually, you know, he's potentially the, the, the best squatter of all time. Uh, he thinks that he, uh, he was working towards a 1500 pound squat. Um, he, he's on video squatting 408 kilos for, for six reps on some old film. Um, he may well be the best squatter uh, of all time. Uh, he would squat all day is basically the way his program was described by Bob Peoples. So every second day he would squat all day. And that, what did all day mean? It mean like do a set of 10 rest for half an hour, do another set of 10 rest for half an hour. And then most of his sets were done in the like two to three rep range, um, with relatively comfortable weights. He's quoted as, uh, lifting, What was he doing there? Oh, yeah, 315 kilos for five reps. And basically, it was described as looking like uh, he was working with an empty bar by Bob Peoples, who you know is that guy with the 330 kilo deadlift, a highly respected um, lifter and world, world champion. He was talking about Paul Anderson lifting 315 kilos for five, standing there taking a few breaths and then doing another five, and looking as though he's just free squatting, squatting the empty bar. So 
one of the best squatters of all time. And what did he do? Well, he believed in lots of sets. Um, he actually kind of stumbled across the Bulgarian method, which, as I said, I think Abajayev actually probably learnt this from Paul Anderson and, and replicated what Paul Anderson was doing. But he would squat, you know, multiple sessions throughout the day, most days. And so he would do um, squats one day, presses and arm work the next day, and well, sometimes, you know, do both in the same day. Um, but he would lift all throughout the day, okay, without ever stressing the system too much. You know, this was saying that was done. I think it's pretty unlikely that Paul Anderson was uh, relying on steroids or, or getting too much in that way. Like it was probably just the start of when that started to become available. If you check out Muscle Smoke and Mirrors, it pretty details sort of when all that stuff came in and um they were definitely sort of invented and known by that stage but i think it's pretty unlikely that anderson was using them even though the you know the bulgarian system is written off as being only applicable to steroid users it's probably actually based on a natural lifter who was potentially the best squatter of all time and you know was definitely uh, a record setter at his at that time he he paul anderson was the first man to press 400 pounds, so 182.5 kilos. Just standing press, 182.5 kilos. Just stop and think about that for a second. And they say that it, it actually didn't look like much of a challenge at all for him. So, you know, this guy, he did something pretty cool. He, and, you know, he was uh, very Christian, massively on the side of um, belief in his potential and his ability to do something no one had ever done before. One other interesting thing here about Paul Anderson is that he absolutely hated squats. Um, so he said, I know I've done more, not only in poundage, but also in number. I believe I've hated every one of them. So he, he thinks he squatted more than anyone alive at that time um, for load, but also for reps. But he says that he hated every single one of them. And there's quotes like that around Ali and his training as well, saying they hated the training, but they loved the results of it. And that's kind of the the ultimate stoic philosophy, you know, what we were speaking about yesterday of do hard stuff now and amazing things happen in life. He ended up being able to, you know, run a boy's home and have a huge impact on a lot of youth. Uh, he toured the country. He gave up uh, uh, amateur lifting to, to sort of uh, be able to tour around the US and he was quoted as lifting 700 to 900 pounds cold um, consistently. So do like a few like quarter reps and half reps and then go into full reps. And that was basically how he warmed up. And he did that, you know, all over the country as part of, uh, he would go and speak to youth and he would demonstrate strength and speak to youth. And that's pretty inspiring. It's kind of the direction that I would like to go with like showing people what I'm doing with my body, what I, you know, what I believe in, what I work on. And telling some of the stories behind that, like that's a, a big goal of mine is to basically do something like what uh, what Paul Anderson was doing and, you know, some of the other old-time um, strongmen. Eugene Sandow actually came to Australia in Adelaide um, in, during his lifetime. You know, he was you know, he would have come out on the boat. It would have been a massive effort, massive trip in the sort of early 1900s. Um, and they would demonstrate, yeah, demonstrate strength, and then you know tell the story and encourage other people to to take on the journey. And it was, you know, I think the esteem that a lot of those guys were held in was actually the ultimate 
you know, they were held as as the experts in health because they were actually the people who were able to do the most impressive things uh, with their bodies and, you know, to put their bodies through extreme stress and maintain health, um, you know, was, was really saying that they were proud of. I think Anderson went a bit beyond that. He drank milk and with gelatin all day long and he was massive um, and that was what he needed to be to do his lifting but uh, probably went beyond what's ideal in terms of health. Um, he was yeah he was able to do pistols as well as handstand push-ups. So Paul Anderson, check out uh, if you want to see more from him. I've got the book sitting here in front of me. Uh, and Paul Anderson, The Mightiest Minister from Randall Strossen. Uh, Randall Strossen's in a lot of the sort of cool um, old-time strength literature. Other, so the Soviet squat cycle, that's uh, six by two, then six by six, six by three, six by six. Okay, so you're doing uh, three squat sessions uh, a week and each time you're uh, working up your, every second session you're working up your, your reps. Um, so you're adding an extra rep and then you build back down in intensity that's the, the soviet squat cycle it's a pretty cool way to to build um strength uh yeah i've used it before on the front squat and it was uh very effective it takes about seven eight weeks um to go through the the full cycle so it first builds you up to six by six i think it's at 85 percent and then you start to go down uh five by five four by four three by three um with six by six in between still, uh, I believe. And, uh, eventually you'll get to doing your, uh, your formal one RM for two by two, I think it is. Um, so you, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice squat cycle way to improve your squats. Uh, the 20 RM program challenge is also a, a really useful one. I remember Sam Kennedy doing this one while we we're at the roosters. Uh, he was, yeah, just building it up. 20 reps, you know, warm up and then do 20 reps. And then, you know, a few days later, do it again with uh, five kilos more. Absolutely brutal uh, way to, to program strength, but an effective one. Uh, a lot of people have had really good results with the 20RM program. It's probably something that everyone should go through in terms of realizing what we're truly capable of in, in intensity. So basically you use like a, a 10RM load and you do 20 reps. Uh, you take breaths in between. So this is the 20RM breathing squat program. Different to the 20 rep uh, program, the other 20 rep program that's out there, um, which is more so built around, um, you know, quality of quality of movement and just doing a lot of reps in each set. But you're not like taking, it's not rest pause. You're not taking huge amounts of um, breaths in between sets. But with the 20RM breathing squat program, yeah, you're using your 10RM and you take five breaths in between reps and you just keep going. So you end up having pins and needles. It can take like three minutes, uh, super painful, high stress, but uh, it teaches you what your body's truly capable of in terms of uh, intensity and very effective. Um, so yeah, two, so 115 kilos is my record on the 20 rep um, back squat, probably something that I should, uh, beat in the near future. If I want to do what I want to do in terms of being, uh, elite, uh, weightlifter. 
So powerlifting squats versus weightlifting squats, we've kind of covered this pretty well. Which one should athletes be using? They both have their place. I, lo- I, I really, if, if your athletes are able to take a reasonable load, even just body weight, you know, in terms of body weight on the bar, like 100 kilos for your 100 kilo footy players, if they can take that weight through full range, get all the way to the bottom and stand up um, and everything feels okay, I think you're giving them a really nice foundation in terms of injury prevention. Do you have to go to maximal, maximal loads through that full, full range? I don't think you have to. But uh, yeah, as I said, it's it's a good thing to be able to to get there. Um, interestingly, like elite weightlifters with their high-frequency squatting and a lot of sub-maximal squatting, because every time they're doing snatches and cleans, you know, they're also squatting, but they're squatting loads that are much lighter than what they can actually back squat or front squat. Um, interestingly, like the top weights for weightlifters, you know, cross over with elite weights in powerlifting as well, but they're done in such a, so much more, you know, athletic way, um, with that high frequency. So that high frequency approach to, um, powerlifting, you know, has been, uh, in and out of vogue and, you know, there's some controversy still about it, but, uh, yeah, it, it looks as though, your weightlifting, you, you, you can tolerate a high frequency of squatting when you're going through full range and um, you're doing a lot of it sub-maximally. You know, that's that's pretty well proven. Some other variations on the squat that you might want to consider is the banded squats and, and the box squats. Okay, so box squats are a really good one for dead start acceleration. You can pull a bit more hamstring and glute into the squat. Popularized by Louis Simmons, Westside Barbell. Uh, that box squat, being able to go from not much tension to high tension, really being able to switch on the muscles hard is extremely uh, useful for athletes. Okay. So you want to be able to go from relaxed, um, in re- you know, relaxed in the legs to, to high force. So sitting on the box and letting some tension out of the legs, keeping tension in the trunk and then driving hard. Uh, I think that that action for the central nervous system is extremely valuable. Um, in terms of the banded uh, squats, that's going to give you something like that benefits of the quarter squats that we were talking about. Okay, so we want to be able to produce a lot of force and we want to produce that force quickly. The bands encourage us to accelerate. So Fred Hatfield talks about compensatory acceleration uh, training, which means basically like driving the weight as fast as you can all the way to the top of the movement. So it means you kind of jump the bar off your back or get up onto your toes at the end of your squats. You know, Dr. Fred Hatfield was a huge fan of that. He believed in power production. The bands are potentially a, another way or a safer way to be able to encourage you to produce full, you know, force through full range. And maybe if uh, Paul Anderson was exposed to some of those methods, maybe he wouldn't have done quite as much quarter squatting, um, which, you know, he was a big fan of quarter squatting and partial squats. Maybe he wouldn't have done quite as much of that if he had been exposed to bands and chains, which would have allowed him to get some of the benefits of partial range while at the same time, you know, lifting uh, the appropriate load through through full range. Um, so single leg stuff, this is another controversy. Do we actually even need to back squat when we can, um, you know, split squat and you know, rear foot elevated split squat and walking lunge, etc. Firstly, the concept that a Bulgarian split squat, you can actually use more load because if you multiply, you know, say you're able to back squat 150, but you can um, 
split squat, 80 kilos, then are you actually using more load if you add in most of your body weight plus the weight on the bar? If you do the numbers on it, it looks like you're doing a lot more load when you're on the one leg. What's being stolen from you in that logic is that the back leg is actually pushing hard into the bench, okay? So while the rift would elevated split squat, you can say that you're using more weight on that front leg. You know, this argument was made in T-Nation articles and it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, if you don't push with the back leg, I guarantee you, you're not using anywhere near the, the same amount of load. Okay, so don't fool yourself into thinking you're getting more loading by going to single leg exercise. Single leg stuff has its place. It's good. You should be able to do pistols. Um, it's nice to be able to, you know, to do lunges, to do rear foot elevated split squats. Are you going to get the same benefit for the central nervous system, for the back, for the core? No. Okay, so the heavy bilateral exercises are going to have a bigger central stimulus and the big central stimulus is a big part of what we want. Okay. So we want to be stronger um, through the trunk. We want to be stronger um, in terms of, you know, how much, what's the maximal output that we can get from the central nervous system. That is very important to us. Okay. So you're not going to get that same nervous system output with a lesser load. Okay. The reason why the big lifts are the big lifts is because they're the, the movements that we can lift the most weight in. And, you know, first and foremost, Paul Anderson, you know, said that weightlifters should be strong. And he wanted to use the exercises where the most weight could be used. Um, and Bob Peoples was on a, on a similar path. You know, they, they used heavy lockouts and partial deadlifts because they could use more weight in those movements. And by using more weight, the body, the connective tissues, the brain, everything was becoming accustomed to weights that were above their maximum. Fred Hatfield used heavy walkouts in a similar um, train of thought. So he would walk out of the rack you know, using more than what he was about to, to back squat for a maximum. And that would, you know, give him the ability to, to then lift a bigger weight. Uh, heavy rack pulls, I, I rack pulled 275 uh, kilos, like just uh, hip and thigh lift, you could call it, like a, a small range of motion at the top for 275. Uh, the same day that I pulled 210 for the first time. Okay, so by going way above it, fill in that load that that helped to to lift a bigger weight same thing i did uh maybe three four sets of 20 quarter squats i was actually using the weight that sam kennedy was doing full squats with like 180 190 and then 200 kilos so i was doing quarter squats with that in between my warm-up sets on the back squat um before i pb'd my back squat you know when we were training together uh, in 2014. So this concept of overloading the central nervous system and showing your body, actually you can deal with a lot more weight than what you think are your maxes because your maxes are just your maxes for your sticking points. They're not the maxes for the whole range of motion. Okay. So hopefully we're getting this concept and understanding that, you know, Westside Barber understood this concept. Paul Anderson understood this concept. Um, Bob Peoples understood this concept. A lot of modern Strength coaches and powerlifting coaches don't understand this concept and don't apply this concept uh, of the value of overloading uh, full range of full range of motion. So overloading in the parts of the range of motion that are not generally overloaded um, can have a benefit. And things like uh, isokinetics and accelerating isokinetics, um, and even using machines where you're changing the force. Um, the force curve, so you're applying force in different loads with the muscles, 
like hamstring curl is hugely popular amongst uh, with Charles Poliquin and, and amongst his uh, sort of crew. Hamstring curls is non-specific for, for sprinting to a large extent because you, you're producing maximal force on the ground and then you're just lifting the leg after that against minimal resistance. It, it might be high velocity, but there's there's very little resistance there. So the part that's heavily resisted is when the leg's almost straight. And then when you get on hamstring curl, the part that's most resisted is usually 90 degrees, depends on the configuration of the machine. But that inner range hamstring strength, you find that generally people are very weak there. But by developing strength through the full range of motion of the muscle, you actually decrease chances of injury um, and you, you just you maximally develop um, strength potential. So I think this is uh, an important consideration and I believe that this philosophy uh, works well. You know, if you only develop the range of motion very specific to your sport, I think you will increase the risk of injury and I think you will cap total uh, performance, total, you know, uh, what, you're, what you're truly capable of. And you might see this with some of the tricep variations that are popular with West Side Barbell. You know, they'll really max out the, the elbow joint angle in a way that doesn't happen in the bench press um, as part of their, their training. And I think they've stumbled on it or, or thought about it through the same sort of principles. Okay, so huge fan of... of uh, that you know, training all the ranges of motion um, and getting improvements in each of them. If you have bad knees, bad back, okay, I can't squat. I should have said this at the start. If you're one of those people, go back to bodyweight squatting, go back to goblet squatting, you know, squat at the level that you can squat at and get it back. You know, the body is adaptable. You will get it back using super slow reps. So like aerobic, um, uh, what are we calling them? Aerobic reps. Six by six, uh, six seconds down, six seconds up for a minimum of six reps, something that Mark Bell um, speaks about. You know, you can probably do that with, you know, five kilos, 10 kilos, the empty bar. Work from there and, and build it up. If your back is bad, if your knees are bad, then, you know, start with mobility work and then and then gradually work it up. Of course, like you apply your own logic and, and work with people if you need to. Like, don't take this as, okay, today's the day for me to go max out. But don't accept limitation as, uh, you know, I hurt myself once with this with maximal load, so I'll never do it again. Or the doctor said I've got bulging discs, so I don't squat. Like, if you never get to max out again, that's okay. But don't be debilitated. Don't carry a limiting belief around with you for the rest of your life because of uh, one incident. Most people have some degree of stuff on scans, whether it's, you know, um, tears in the shoulder, rotator cuff stuff, capsule stuff. Uh, in the lower back like if most people get scanned especially if you've done sports then you're going to see stuff doesn't necessarily mean anything a lot of people are asymptomatic despite having those those scan results okay so another thing here to remember is if we're squatting a lot then we need to keep the hip flexors long uh, lunging loaded lunges the squat every day type program uh always that they recommend walking lunges in between uh, or after sets. Now that brings a lot of blood flow to the area, but it also opens up the hips. This is key. So make sure that we get the hips open even before, but also after um, walking lunges and, and weighted sort of split positions are a great way to do that. So um, yeah, that's a lot about squats. I love the squats. They play a big role. I need to get my squats bigger. This is a huge step towards it. I'm committing to uh, squatting more than double body weight this year. It needs to happen. It has to happen. And uh, it's going to open up another world of possibility in uh, 
weightlifting if I can do that when I do that um, it must happen my diet is helping that my tendons are recovering much faster so let's uh, let's see what can happen here in uh, 2018 if I missed anything hit me up on Twitter what do you got to say about squatting Keegan SH talk to you soon Keegan Smith man that guy can talk but he does it because he loves it if you loved it share it give us some feedback what was great what didn't you like what was your biggest take-home message? Make sure you stay in touch with us on Instagram and share your wins, people. This win is only going to come if we do it together. We have to take ourselves further. By taking ourselves further, we give permission for everybody around us to make positive changes in their lives and to become the people who they want to become. Everybody's changing the world. You are changing the world. Let's do this together. Let's see how far we can take it. Imagine... Imagine if we all put our full heart into becoming the best versions of ourselves every single day.